today we're kicking off a new sermon series, uh, which is called Christmas at Elam. So we're going to look at the nativity story uh, and pull some gems from there that, um, we can, that can, can encourage us as we walk into Christmas uh, this year. Um, today, the message for us is simply called Life Hacks. Life Hacks. And a life hack is one of those things that rose to fame many years ago uh, over the last few years. And it's that moment where someone discovers the actual use of something that we all thought was just there for the sheer enjoyment and pleasure of our eyes. Uh, or it's that moment where we finally realize that we've been using a particular thing wrong the whole time or it's got multiple uses. For example, reusable shopping bags. Those are a life hack. They're a lifesaver, but you just have to remember to take the shopping bags when you go shopping. Uh, also, I found this other one. You can use the drawer, you know, the drawer insert that you have in your kitchen to keep all of you, your utensils. You can use that actually in your bathroom drawer where you keep all your utensils to sort and organize all of your different things. I think that's a great hack. Another one is uh, you have your sunglasses. They can be uh, a little stand where you rest your phone on. So you flip them upside down and then open the, um, the, the arms of the, yeah. And then you rest your phone on it for all of our parents with young children, that might be helpful. Um, when you order French fries from Macca's and then you use the lip of the chips holder thingy and then you squirt the tomato sauce on it. So you just fold it a little bit. And so then you've got this little plate there that you can use to dip your french fries on it that's a mean one eh that's a mean one you already know where i eat most eh? uh here's another great one when you iron a buttoned shirt flip it inside out so that the iron doesn't keep knocking up against all the buttons that's a mean one eh all of these different things are life hacks they make life so much easier for us they make eating or driving or working such a breeze and less, stress, less stressful so that you could actually enjoy the stuff that you want to do. It's incredible how we can often look at something and think, that's weird. Why is it done that way? Why does that even exist like that? And we don't just do this with everyday objects. We do this in our faith journey as well. We experience miracles in our lives every day. We experience God's faithfulness in our lives. He heals us. He provides for us. We feel His presence. We feel His peace, uh, His comfort in moments of utmost despair in our lives. We find ourselves growing in the likeness of Jesus each and every day. God is doing great things in our lives, but just because God moves in our lives a certain way doesn't necessarily mean He's going to do that exact same thing for everybody else in the exact same way. And sometimes we would often look at a miracle in someone else's life and because we've had the exact same miracle, we expect God to do it the exact same way that He's done it for us in our experience. And so we say, that's not supposed to be that way. We read our experiences and the miracles that we've had onto everyone else's only because they don't really make sense to us. We even do this in our walk with God. We quote scriptures like, Isaiah 43 and we say behold I am doing a new thing now it springs up do you not perceive it we quote these scriptures but then we look for God to do the new thing the exact same way he did it in 1945 and so this faith journey that's supposed to look like a life of constant trust constant reliance and dependence on God starts to look more like a life where we're on, in control of how things happen in our lives. We start to manufacture the miracles. We start to muster up the presence of God in our lives as if God's presence is a power that we can wield and manipulate to our will. The problem with the life where we are in control is that we either settle for the miracle of yesterday, the revelation of yesterday, the revival of yesterday, and we fail to see the miracle, the revelation, the revival and the move of God that's happening in our midst. The problem with the life where we're in control is that we start to look to history, 
We look to data, we look to our analysis and our reports of how things used to be. And then we try to do all the things and get our ducks in a row in order to house the manifest presence of God. The problem with a life where we're in control is that we start to chase the experience and we totally miss the presence of God. And so what we're in need of is some kind of a life hack to help us lay hold of the new thing that God is doing in our lives. Come on, why don't you take out your Bibles, uh, take out your sermon notes, sermon apps. We're gonna go to the Word of God. Let's pray. God, your love is better than life. So much so, God, that we could search the heights, search the depths, go deep and wide, oh God, and we will find that nothing quite compares to your love. Fame cannot compare, fortune cannot compare, knowledge and the greatest expressions of intelligence cannot compare. And so we thank you, God, that as we turn to the pages of Scripture, we find, Lord, that the central message of your Word is simply this, you love us. And I pray, God, that as we come under your Word this morning, Lord, that we would grow in knowledge and understanding and great revelation of your love for us through your Son, Jesus, whom we live to glorify in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 21. I've got multiple different Scriptures that we're going to go to this morning. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 1.24 says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Matthew 2.13-14, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Matthew 2, 19 to 23 says, After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Psalm 128 verse 1 says, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. God bless the reading of His Word. I want to spend some time this morning looking at four different dreams that Joseph had throughout the nativity story. Joseph's response to each of these dreams revealed to us important life hacks that are going to help us in life. The Bible says that a young man, a young virgin named Mary was engaged and about to be married to a guy named Joseph. But before they got married, she became pregnant. The Bible says that before Mary and Joseph came together, she was found with child and this happened through the Holy Spirit. 
Now, oftentimes when we read the story, we read it with the ending in mind. We already know that Jesus actually ends up being the Savior. We already know that Jesus ends up fulfilling prophecy. He's the Messiah that everyone has been waiting for. But we read this text with the ending in mind. And so we just quickly brush over the awkward fact that Mary was pregnant and it wasn't through Joseph, her man's. And so as I was reading this text, I stopped and thought, how would I have handled this situation? How, imagine being Joseph and your fiance, this woman whom you're about to be married to, you're about to spend the rest of your life with, comes to you and says, baby boy, I'm pregnant and the baby ain't yours. But hang on, don't be mad because actually he's the savior of the world. <laughs> I mean, the Bible says, that Joseph was a just man. That means that he was strict in observing the law and the law commanded death to any man who violated a virgin woman who was pledged to be married and death to any virgin woman who did not scream out for help. And so Joseph being a keeper of the law chooses not to bring the law into full swing. Instead, he chose not to proceed with the marriage and he resolved to put her away privately. But he wanted to do this as private as possible so that she might not be exposed publicly. And as I read that, I thought, wow, Joseph, kudos to you, brother. Because I mean, I don't think I would have been able to respond that way. I mean, if this was Yosefa from Manudewa, he probably would have been like, ah, da, 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 da. save it for Oprah, okay? <laughs> we are done. Deuces, I'm out. We're out. Look, I, I, and he would have been like, um, what we're not going to do is have me out here looking like a fool, looking like I'm some sort of side piece. No, thank you, Malia. Second of all, you're not about to bring up this foolishness about my faith, talking about you're carrying the Messiah, the Savior of the world that we've been waiting for. Girl, sit down. How would you have responded? Imagine your fiance coming to you and saying, I'm pregnant. Um, it's not your child, but it's totally fine because this child I'm carrying is the saviour of the world. And as you read the text and sit in it long enough, you come to realise the degree of the emotions that would have been involved because of what's happened. I can just imagine Joseph being gobsmacked after finding this out. And Mary would have been absolutely nervous, struggling to articulate what's happened, scared and so afraid because she's not able to prove that the child that she's bearing is actually the Messiah of the world. She would have been overwhelmed with the fear of what it would have meant to be seen in public pregnant, but not married to Joseph. What do you do when you can't seem to make sense of something that's happening in your life? You are so overwhelmed by what's happening. You just can't deal anymore. You can't seem to make sense of why people closest to you are dying. You work hard, but you can't seem to make sense of why you're being made redundant. You're doing all that you can as a parent, but you just can't understand why your kids are getting into so much trouble. You can't understand why families and friends are treating you the way that they do after realizing that you have said yes to Jesus and you believe in Jesus. You can't seem to figure out why all of this is happening to you. What do you do when you can't seem to make sense of what's happening in your life? Joseph would have been asking, why is this happening to me? Why now? How could this happen? What if people find out? Who could I turn to? Where could I go for help? You see, the Bible says that an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. And in the first dream, this is what the angel says. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son. You shall call him Jesus. He's gonna save people from their sins. And this is Joseph's response, Matthew 1, 24. 
when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. The Bible doesn't say that Joseph got up and then he started asking questions. The Bible doesn't say he got up and asked for another sign. The Bible doesn't say that he got up and asked God for another way. The Bible says he woke up and did what the angel said to do. No one just gets up after one word and does as the angel says. No one just gets moving after hearing a word just the one time. It takes a person who's got incredible confidence in God to be able to hear the instruction one time and then get up and get moving. In other words, when you get to the point in your life where you've got so much confidence in God, obedience becomes second nature to you. Obedience is no longer a matter of comfortability for you. Obedience is no longer a matter of sacrifice for you. Obedience becomes a matter of confidence. If you find yourself struggling to obey the Word of the Lord in any area of your life, can I suggest to you this morning that perhaps your issue is not in your obeying, the issue is in your confidence. The question you need to ask yourself is this, where does my confidence lie? Is my confidence in God or is it in my job? Is my confidence in God or is it in my spouse? Is my confidence in God or is it in my kids? Is my confidence in God or is it in my bank account? And so here's life hack number one for you, check your confidence. Check your confidence. When you've got confidence that God is who He is, when you've got confidence that God is going to do what He says in His Word He's gonna do, you have no issues obeying what He says because you know that you can trust Him. You know that you can rely on Him. You know that you can depend on Him. Why? Because you know Him to be a God who is faithful to His promises. You know Him to be a God who keeps His Word. When all hell seems to be breaking loose in your life and you find yourself struggling to obey the Word of the Lord, check your confidence. Because it may be the, that the reason you're struggling to obey God's Word for you in the season is because your confidence is in something other than God. The story goes on to say that Jesus was born. Wise men from the East were on their way to see Jesus. And so they, were, they went looking for Him. They asked, where is the baby who was born to be the King of the Jews? And when the King who was reigning at this time heard all about this, he became troubled. And so he met with the wise men secretly and asked them where Jesus would be born. He said to them, when you find Him, come back so that I can go and worship Him. And so the wise men are on their way. They find Jesus, they come, they bring gifts, they bow down and they worship Him. Shortly after this, God warned the wise men through a dream to not go back to Herod. And so they all went a different way back home. When they left, the angel appeared to Joseph again. And this was the second dream. Here's what it says. The angel says to Joseph, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. The king is searching for the child to kill him. And this is Joseph's response, Matthew 2, 14. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Again, Joseph got up, took his family and left for Egypt. Joseph had every reason to turn his back on what God was asking of him. Because you need to understand that Egypt was the very place where his ancestors would have experienced oppression. It was the place where they would have been enslaved at the hand of Pharaoh. James, Joseph uh, had every reason to go back to the angel and say, go back to God and tell him that I'm not coming back to Egypt. I'm not going to Egypt. 
How can God ask me to go back to the place where my ancestors were enslaved? How would you ask that of me? God, have you forgotten what happened in Egypt? Have you forgotten about the oppression, the slavery, the bondage? Have you forgotten about the way they treated my ancestors? Have you forgotten about the way they treated my people? And yet you're asking me to go back there. You're asking me to take my wife and my son and go back into that mess. Joseph had every reason to say no to going to Egypt. But he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Let me ask you this morning, where in your life have you allowed past experiences to stop you from stepping into the new thing that God is doing in your life right now? Where in your life are you still allowing the hurts of the past to dictate your response to what God is doing right now? There are people in the room this morning who are yet to discover their purpose and their destiny and their potential and who God has called them to be because you're still holding on to your old ways of thinking. You're still holding on to your old expectations. You're still holding on to old disappointments and old experiences. You're still holding on to unhealthy habits. You're still holding on to unforgiveness. You're still holding on to fear. When the people of Israel were in the wilderness, many of them struggled to lay hold of what was ahead of them. They failed to lay hold of the promised land and so many of them died in the wilderness still holding on to the old thing. In other words, they were out of Egypt, but Egypt wasn't out of them. Let me encourage you today. You cannot lay hold of the new thing that God is doing in your life with your hands gripped around the old thing. You can come out of it, but if it hasn't come out of you, then you're going to struggle to get up and go where God is wanting you to go. And so here's what you ought to do. Here's your second life hack. Life hack number two, put it down. Put it down. You gotta put it down. You gotta be prepared to put Egypt down. You gotta be prepared to put the past down. You can't lay hold of reconciliation if you're still holding on to unforgiveness. You can't lay hold of humility if you're still holding on to pride. You can't lay hold of the contentment that God can give you if you're still holding on to the things of the world. Whatever it is today, today is decision-making day. You have to be prepared to put it down. If Joseph allowed the experiences of his ancestors to determine his response to what God was doing, he would have missed the opportunity to be part of something incredible. But he chose to put it down and obey God instead. My friend, don't allow unforgiveness, don't allow fear, don't allow hurt, don't allow bitterness, don't allow pride, don't allow uncertainty to cause you to miss the new thing that God is doing in your life. And so we come to dream number three. And in this dream, the angel tells Joseph to get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. The people who were trying to kill Jesus were dead and it was now safe to go back. This is Joseph's response, Matthew 2, 21. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Joseph is now leaving Egypt again and he's headed back to Israel. You see, the thing is, Egypt was never the destination. Even though going to Egypt was part of the fulfillment of the prophecy that was spoken in Hosea, it was not meant to be the destination. Uh, we have these things, when you go to the Auckland airport, you've got these things called the waiting zones. And there are, these, there are waiting zones for people who are there to pick up loved ones who've just arrived. There are waiting zones for people who are about to embark onto a flight. These waiting zones are designed so that you can have everything that you need but just enough for the wait. You'll have food shops there for nourishment, but you won't find housing there. 
You'll find places to purchase clothes, but you won't find them selling beds or appliances there. You'll find massage chairs there, but you won't find a place where you've got a room and a bed and a kitchenette that you can rent out for the next few months. The waiting zones provide you with just enough because you're on your way to your destination. But while you're in the waiting zone, you are well aware of what's happening. When you wait in the waiting zone, you're, you're aware of what's happening. You're constantly checking the board to see, you know, what is the status of the flight? You're walking to the gate to make sure that you're closer to the gate so that when it's time to board the flight and embark on this flight, you can quickly do it. And so you could be shopping or having a meal in the waiting zone, but you're well aware of what's happening. Your senses are on, on alert. You are looking, you are listening, you're waiting, but you're aware of what's happening all around you because at any moment, you could hear an instruction over the intercom of what you're supposed to do next. You see, Egypt was just a waiting zone. It was not the destination for Joseph, Mary and the child. Egypt was part of the plan to get to where God really wanted them to go. They were only there temporarily. But I can imagine that while they were there, they would have been well aware and waiting for an instruction from the Lord. And as I was preparing for this message, I really felt God say that there are people who've been in the waiting zone a long time. And you're feeling like your flight is constantly being delayed, 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 getting cancelled. You feel like you're constantly having to check the board. And sometimes it says your flight is boarding, but then suddenly things happen and now your flight is delayed again. Now your flight is cancelled again. Now, now you're having to change the gate and now you're having to change where you wait. I'm speaking to people who've grown weary in the waiting. You're done with the constant changing. The continued wait is causing you to harbour disappointment. You're becoming frustrated because one time it looks like you're about to board and the next time it's delayed. It looks like you're about to get the job that you've been working hard to get and then it doesn't happen. It looks like you're about to get the healing and the miracle that you've been waiting for and then it doesn't happen. I wanna speak to you this morning and I wanna say, don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Don't be disappointed. The place where you are right now is only meant to serve you for a season. It may feel like you've been waiting a long time, but just know that the waiting is only temporary. Don't build a permanent home in the waiting zone. It's only temporary. Don't make permanent decisions in the waiting zone. It's only temporary. But while you wait, here's what you can do. Life hack number three, use the waiting zone to refocus. Use the waiting zone to refocus. The best thing that you could do while in the waiting zone is refocus. When you're in the airport waiting for your flight, you can either choose to focus all of your attention on the things that are going wrong around you. You know, how the food is not so good in the waiting zone, how the clothes and duty-free are not that you know cheap, how the flights are, have changed all the time, how the gate where you are boarding is now changed. You can either focus all of your attention on that stuff or you can choose to focus on where you're going. Focus on your destination. And one thing I know is that we don't know God's timing for all our moments of waiting, but I know that He's always got purpose for our moments of waiting. There is always purpose behind our seasons of waiting. And so while you wait, this is your opportunity to refocus. And here's what refocus sounds like. Lord, I know I ain't got my healing yet, but I'm gonna worship you like it's already on the way. Lord, show me how I can be a blessing to others while I'm waiting for my blessing. Lord, I know that waiting doesn't mean denied. Waiting simply means just not right now. Lord, help me to become aware of your presence in my season of waiting. Use the waiting zone to refocus. Plug into God through His Word. Plug into God through prayer. Plug into God through fasting. Plug into God through fellowship. And so we find ourselves in the fourth dream. And this is what it says, Joseph was warned not to go to Judea because King Herod's son was ruling there. 
And this is Joseph's response, Matthew 2, 22 to 23. It says, having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. Again, we see that Joseph didn't ask any questions. He's being warned in the dream and now his response is he withdrew to the district of Galilee. Throughout the story, we see that Joseph just continued to obey the word of the Lord. For every dream he had, for every instruction he received, Joseph's response was always to get up and do as he was uh, instructed. Perhaps you're here today and just like Joseph, You've gone from place to place to place to place. And now once again, God is asking you to get up again and go. Perhaps you're here today and just like Joseph, you were confronted with circumstances that would have shaken you, but your response was to trust God. But then there was a second thing that came your way. And again, your response was to trust God. Then there was a third thing that came your way. And still your response has been to trust God. And just when you thought it was all over, just when you thought that everything was going to be fine, another thing happened. And now you just don't really know if you can do the whole trusting thing again. You don't know if you've got it in you to go again. You don't know if you've got it in you to fight again, to stand again, to forgive again, to love again. And if that's you, then life hack number four is just for you. Life hack number four says, trust God again. Choose to trust God again. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Don't give in. You can trust God again. Yes, I said you can trust God again. And you see, the thing you need to understand is that the nature and the character of God remain the same. Our circumstances may change, but God never changes. God may even perform miracles and move in many different ways, but who He is remains the same. Turn to the person next to you and say, God is the same. God is the same, amen. Sometimes He'll part the Red Sea. Sometimes He'll send mana. Sometimes He'll heal people of leprosy. Sometimes the lame will begin to walk. Sometimes even the dead will begin to rise. But regardless of how God moves, the nature and the character of who He is remains the same. He's still a faithful God. He's still true to His promises. He's still mighty to save. He's still able to heal. He's still able to deliver. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Church, you can trust Him Again, if I can ask the keys to join me. Last year during Christmas, I received this box full of vegetables. And I was like, yes, I can take this home and tell everybody. I, I you know, got this thing, this box of vegetables to bless our home with. Um, and so I was saying with this couple um, uh, in um, Tortata Heights. And so I'm excited. I'm on my way home. And as I was driving down Mahia Road, I noticed a man who was standing at the bus stop. And so I'm like, okay, he was, you know, quite well-groomed and cleaned up and and all of that. And as I get closer to the roundabout, I feel God say to me, turn around and go pick up this man. I'm like, oh, okay. So I turn around, I go and I pick up this man. And so he jumps in the car and I'm like, where are you headed to? He's like, Papakura. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) I I wasn't going to Papakura. I was going this way. (laughs) So then then he jumps on. I was like, okay. So, So we go. And as we were going, this guy had the nerve to ask me, yo, can we stop at Countdown? And I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, for bread and milk for his kids. And I'm like, okay. And then we get to Countdown and he jumps out and he goes into the shop. While we're in the shop, because I'm just following this guy, I don't want to lose him because I'm like, I feel like I need to drop you off home. God speaks to me again and he says, do the grocery shop for this guy. And I'm like, oh, really? First, I thought I was 
took a ride. Now it's a grocery shop. So I go to this guy and I was like, hey, what do you need at home? Like, I, I want to, you know, buy the groceries. I feel God leading me to, to buy the groceries for you. He was overwhelmed with joy. He couldn't believe it. And he was like, okay, this guy went shopping, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with money that wasn't his. So he started putting things in the basket. Uh, and then we go and we check out. And then he jumps into the car. Now we're driving to, to drop them off. And as we were going, he starts to tell me his story. And he's like, my wife is at home and I'm taking care of her. She's got cancer. And I'm also trying to raise four kids at the same time. Um, and I've been made redundant today. And I was banking that I would get paid today so that I can buy food. And I've only got enough for bread and milk. And the fact that you've even bought this food in there is incredible. So we get to his house, right? And then we pull up and I'm like, brother, can I please pray for you? So I prayed with him. And just as I finished praying, I was like, amen. And God goes, give him the box of vegetables too. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So I'm like, you know, get the box of vegetables. And I'm like, bro, this is for you. And he's like, really? Like I've already gone on that. It's for you. So I prayed with him, uh, took the, the boxes in and then he went, and I was dying to get into the car. I was like, Lord, you wait. You know, I'm going to get into the car. We have some serious talking to do. And so I get into the car and I'm like, God, what was that? Well, like, I thought it was just a ride. And now it went to shopping. And now I gave him the box of vegetables that I wanted to take home. Like, what is happening? Not a single word from the Lord. Zilch. All of these things that he'd been impressing my heart suddenly go quiet. And I'm like, and then I get to the house. I get to our house where I was staying. And at the front door, there was this box full of not just vegetables, but fruits and vegetables. And there were three bags of shopping. And I was like, okay, yeah, I get it. And to be honest, if these vegetables could have jumped out and been like, see, don't be theobokal, man. Don't try and be, be all know-it. You know, try, don't try and be know-it-all. They would have. And you see, I'm not telling you that so you can be like, wow, our pastor hears from the Lord. That's not what it's about. It's actually about the power of obedience. And I'm not talking about go home now and give everything out so that you can get everything back. <laughs> that's not obedience, that's a business transaction. <laughs> you see, in today's text, one thing is certain. In the very few verses that we read of Joseph in the nativity, all of them convey this one thing, his obedience. It can be easy for us to try and have every single detail of our lives figured out, but that's not our job. We can't try to sort out all of the stuff that happens and figure out why everything happens because it's not our job. That's not what we're meant to do. You're not supposed to have everything figured out. I know that probably some of you guys are looking here and you're like, my gosh, what did you just really say that? That we're not supposed to have this. You're not supposed to have this figured out. Church, it's true. You're not supposed to have everything figured out. You're not supposed to know everything. You're not supposed to know how God works. You're not supposed to know the exact timing of the second coming of Jesus. You're not supposed to know why God heals sometimes and why He doesn't other times. You're not supposed to know why it seems like the wicked flourish and the righteous don't. You're not supposed to know the formula for revival to break out into our city. You're not supposed to know what's gonna happen 50 years from now. Let me relieve you of some of that pressure. Let me help you this morning and let you know you're not God. You didn't speak the world into existence. You didn't hang the stars and the sky into the sky. You didn't cause the tides to go into motion. You didn't part the Red Sea. You didn't send manna and quail in the wilderness. You're not God. So quit taking his role. There's only one God and my friend, I'm sorry to say, it's not you. The greatest gift that you can give yourself this Christmas is to bring yourself to the realisation that you don't need to have it all figured out. And here's the best part about that. It's okay. 
It's okay that you don't have life figured out. It's okay that you don't have the future figured out. It's okay that all hell may be breaking loose in your life right now and you can't seem to figure it out. It's okay because there's someone who's already got it all figured out. There's someone whose ways are higher than our ways, who's got a panoramic view of our lives, whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts, whose word will not return void. There's someone who has already laid the foundations of the earth someone who supports the foundations of the earth, who keeps the seas inside its boundaries, who commands the morning to appear, who can direct the movement of the stars. His name is Yahweh. He is Lord God Almighty. Psalm 128 verse 1 says, I want to leave you with this. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. You see, the life of Joseph shows us this one thing, obedience Obedience isn't just hearing about the Word of the Lord, but it's also acting on it. It flows from a love for God. It flows from a desire and a hunger to worship God with all of your life. It flows from deep devotion to God. All of these life hacks, the obedience is actually all supposed to point you to God. Because my friend, to obey God is to love God and to love God is to know Him. Do you know Him? Because friend, he is your life hack. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, we refuse to dismiss the service without giving people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, I don't know God. And I wanna give you this opportunity. You need to know today that God created you and God created you to know Him. God created you to come to loving fellowship with Him. God created you to enjoy this relation, loving relationship with Him. But the Bible talks about this thing that keeps us disconnected and separated from God. That is the, that, that disconnect that you feel, that separation that you feel is caused by this thing called sin. Sin is doing things our own way. Sin is walking in disobedience to God. But also the Bible says the penalty of that sin is death. But my friend, it didn't end there because God in His grace sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that you and I didn't have to take that penalty for sin. And so God right now is extending to every single one of us His grace, forgiveness for your past, a new life right now, and a hope for your future and eternal life with Him in heaven. But you see, we must turn from sin, turn away from sin and turn to Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus. Believe in Jesus because whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so if that's you today and you're saying, yes, I want to give my heart to God. I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to come into loving fellowship with God. I'm going to count to three and I want you to raise your hand and then you can put it down straight away. And you don't have to be shy or afraid. No one in this church was born holy. We are all sinners who've been saved by grace. But we want you to know we're right here with you and we've got your back. And so if that's you and you're saying, yes, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I'm going to count to three. Raise your hand. You can put it down straight away. One, God loves you. Two, He's speaking to your heart right now. Three, raise your hand. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you. There's one more thing I need you to do. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And I need you to know this prayer doesn't save you. This is just an expression of you putting your faith and hope in Jesus. Dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and into my life. I want to trust you 
and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. In Jesus' name, amen.